Welcome back to the basement, boys and girls, cats and dogs, children and grown-ups alike. You are now tuned in to Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I am your host, Kevin, as usual. I uh, hope you enjoyed last week's podcast with uh, Kate Moran and Derek Avery talking about the Rainbow Rock. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, uh, go back and check that out. In fact, uh, you should go back and check back out a lot of them. Uh, we can tell you why in a minute here, but... Um, this week, uh, we sort of are diving deep into our music nerdness. Uh, it is no secret that we are all giant nerds, not just in the, in the music realm, but in, in everything. For example, I am a uh, sort of sort of a huge gamer, uh, which is you know something I've been doing all my life, but uh, they keep getting better, so I keep playing them. Um, but uh, one thing that music nerds, I think, can unite on is the fact that Yes uh, was basically a motherfucker of a band uh, a couple weeks ago founding member of that and actually the only guy who was in yes for the entire time uh chris squire uh died he uh lost his battle with leukemia and uh, not only was he a founding member of that he's one of the greatest bass players uh ever to live if you have picked up an instrument uh or if you were uh, uh a, a dude you know in the in the 80s maybe or in the 70s or you know a 14 year old and just you know the the geeky kid who, who, who needs the uh, 20-sided die rock, uh, then you know yes. And you know um, that these flights of fancy through the universe and space whales and and uh, mountains made of magic uh, are important uh, to musical development because I think it can see you can see how far out you can get with it. Uh, and a lot of bands did that, but yes, for some reason, uh, at least for me, resonated uh Pretty, pretty strongly and pretty much the most. Also resonated with uh, a couple of my friends. Uh, on this podcast, you're going to hear my friend Brian Chenault. Uh, I've known Brian since he was. we were in sixth grade together. He used to buy comic books. Uh, used to listen to Yes. Uh, used to stare at these album covers and whatnot. Uh, and Brian Pagels uh, from the Beanstalk Library, who just randomly uh, off mic the last time they were on, we started talking about doing this podcast. And he was like, oh, man, I'd be so down for that. So we hit him up. Uh, he came by. Uh, it was really cool. Uh, so this is really just uh, three music nerds uh, rambling on about a band that uh, we all love. I, I think it actually ended up being more a um, uh, our little like goodbye to uh, Chris Squire. Uh, you know, you lose somebody who influenced you as a, a musician, as an artist like that, uh, and it's it's time to reflect. And uh, so I know we we all been doing that the past few weeks. Uh, also, and I'll, I'll get more into detail of this uh, at the back end of the podcast. But uh, we're gonna be taking a week off next week, so uh, you got a lot to listen to this, and that's okay because I think it's like an hour and twenty minutes. So um, if you are new to yes, welcome. Sit down, grab a seat in the basement. Uh, we're going to try to guide you through some of the weird, weirder, more esoteric corners of this. Uh, if you enjoy Yes and just like enjoy people geeking out over a band that you also love, uh, I think you're going to enjoy this too. So here you go. Uh, this is episode number 128 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. Uh, our deep dive into the band Yes. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man
Welcome back. Thanks. You've been out in Denver, sir? Yeah, I, feel I have. Two months now. Two months now? Yeah. I feel like this is, if you had known when we met each other in, what, like, sixth grade, that this would be our destiny? Would you, could you have foreseen that? <laughs> talking about <laughs> to be, talking we, about yes talking in Washington D.C. Talking about yes in Washington D.C. No, 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 not like never would have guessed. Uh, another Brian down here in the basement, Brian Pagels from the uh, Beanstalk Library. You've been down here before, though. I have, I have. Uh, and uh, how's things going with the the library there? Uh, doing doing well. We're we're playing a lot. Um, Got a monthly monthly residency these days uh, at a little spot in Alexandria mm-hmm. that we like a lot called the Evening Star, um, and the residen- residency is called the Guest Room. So we invite a guest to play and collaborate with us. Yeah, each show that's been pretty fun thus far. Yeah, and you guys had some uh, cool ones. You had uh, Andrew Gaddy was the last one. Gaddy was the last one. Just uh, yeah, just recently. Um, Nassim Curry from uh, Kingsley Flood was out there. Yeah, that was that was that was pretty exciting for us um, to have uh, Nassim come and play. Yeah, um, you know Kingsley Flood's a a pretty cool band that we've known of for, for a little while. And, um, you know, it's, it's always fun to, uh, to get to back somebody of that caliber. So mm-hmm. yeah, pretty fun. Indeed. Well, um, we actually talked about this a little when you guys were on about doing a yes cast because, uh, Chenault and I, like we've said, our, I think big generator holds a special place <laughs> in, in our, in our raisin. Um, but, uh, the, there's a sad fact that I never have seen yes to this day. Uh, and, and as of, I believe it was uh, June 27th, I will not, because Chris Squire, their bass player, uh, who we are going to definitely need to talk about what an amazing bass player that man was, uh, died from leukemia. So all these times, this is yet another band, all these times that I've pushed this off and not seen a band, and now it's just not going to happen. But if you look at the history of the band, I think uh, maybe it won't matter. I don't know. We'll try to we'll try to get down to that. Uh, first off, this is uh, we have three dudes. We actually uh, there ISIS is down here, <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is a lady down here, but she's not participating because you know uh, you tried to, <laughs> tried to, <laughs> tried to panel uh, this so we have like equal things. But the fact of the matter is, and I would like to say it's not confusing to me, but uh, I mean that it is confusing, but it's probably not. I don't know many Lady Yes fans, so maybe we're going to fix this with this, because I think, would you guys agree there's a lot to love for any fan of music about Yes? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I would say so. Although I feel the same about Steely Dan, and I don't think you're going to get many women in for your Steely Dan cast either. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a weird thing, and maybe that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Um, just to get going, um, like we said, Chris Squire passed on June 27th. Uh, most people listening to this podcast will know, uh, yes, from in 1983, I can't remember if it was 83 or 84, a song called The Owner of a Lonely Heart hit the airwaves. It was not, uh, that was certainly the first time I had heard of them. You said maybe you had heard Fragile before, Chanel? I think it was right after that, actually. Yeah. yeah my, uh, my mom taught me how to drive stick shift yeah. to, uh, Fragile on an eight track in her Scirocco. <laughs> which is pretty, you know, at the in time Lynchburg, I Virginia. At the time, I didn't appreciate it, but in retrospect, that's pretty rad, right? Yeah. 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 But, but I think that was actually after Owner of a Lonely Heart. Yeah, yeah. But that song took over the airwaves and was intriguing enough. Uh, I know I certainly burned up a few copies of that tape in my uh, in my Walkman. Uh, they had, uh, for me, I think what it was, uh, at that point, still didn't dive any further into it, uh, 9012 Live, mm. which did it have uh, All Good People or Starship? It had one of the live cuts of the older songs of the back. Do you remember, Brian? I have never listened to that album. Really? <clears throat> nope. 
Let's see. I don't remember that album, but I do remember the video concert of that, right. that tour, which was amazing. It had all the weird segue stuff between songs, the sort of like 80s vague like animation. And <laughs> yeah, uh, it was pretty, pretty good. I actually dug that up on uh, YouTube a little while ago. And yeah, it, it's very 80s. Very, and it's not what you would expect, I think, from seeing that owner of Lonely Heart. Because that iteration of Yes, uh, and like we'll get to, was a very weird uh, studio creation of the band Yes. But at any rate, um, they put out this album. I, for one, started digging a little deeper. Found an album called Yes Songs, uh, which is live recordings from uh, about the 70s, mid-70s, I think. Uh, and then sort of started to blow my mind with that. Big Generator was released, and that's, I know, where you really locked in. I know uh, Daria was telling me uh, on the car when we were going to get the beer here that uh, she bought her sister a copy of Big Generator for Christmas because it's the only thing she wanted. All of a sudden, this band that came, that was like, I don't know, like hanging out at Stonehenge was was like the biggest thing in the world. Um, So, uh, like I said, what we want to try to do... um, is get up to that point and then unfortunately have to talk about after that point. Uh, they started out... Let's see where we're at here. Um, started out back in 67 or 68. Chris Squire met John Anderson in a bar. And this is going on when like Led Zeppelin and the height of, of blues in, in England is going on. And they sort of just... Uh, coalesced in this all these players that eventually would come in and out of yes uh the original lineup uh looks like we had uh john anderson we had uh, chris squire bill bruford and uh tony k and a guitarist which i'm not gonna name because nobody will know him peter banks peter banks okay okay come on um, tony's brother <laughs> Was yeah. it? No. <laughs> of Genesis? Well, that, yeah, that's, yeah. Sort of, that's sort of what I'm getting It would make at. sense. Yeah. If, if you think about everything that was going on at that time and, and the Genesis uh, stuff, uh, all these guys were just hanging out making this weird-ass music. These guys were arguably making the weirdest-ass music uh, because they hit on early on an obsession with uh, classical music, which maybe, I don't know about you, but I was thinking about this, maybe that's where... Yeah, I feel like it's not as prevalent in their first couple of albums, though. Maybe they just weren't mature enough to no. really express it. Because, I mean, you hear the obsession with, like, Simon and Garfunkel. I guess they covered, like, America mm-hmm. and some things like that. But I feel that's, like a, they that's a record off... company thing, though. Yeah, I feel like they started off a little more folky, like a little more British folk. I mean, you could hear a little bit of the classical mm-hmm. in there, but maybe they just weren't good enough to, to really write what they heard. You know? and I think there there's some... I, I was listening back to their first couple albums today... Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with Tom and Award. I'm really not that familiar with like the first album, Yes. And I was listening to it today and it, it kind of struck me as as kind of sounding a lot like um, like early Pink Floyd, kind of like psychedelic kind of kind of stuff. Because like I said, they were in, in that scene. That's yeah. just what was going on. Yeah. But by uh, 71... 72, 73, 74, I think that's when the real classical stuff started to come into it. Um, and that's, if you if you even know a little about Yes, beyond the 90125, that's what everybody's going to hit. And I'm talking about uh, Fragile and Close to the Edge. Which, I mean, greatest hits albums now, is that what they're sort of made up of? Just those two albums? I think if you throw in the Yes album, which came out the mm-hmm. same year as Fragile... 
71. Did it. I think that's right. Um, I would say between the three of them, if you're excluding the the 80s largesse, then yes. What do you think? Uh, I actually don't remember what's on the S album, to be honest with you, but Fragile I'm more familiar with. Fragile... That's the one that has all the solo pieces on it, too, though. Yes. It's kind of no, weird. Fra- yeah. Fragile is weird. It starts off with uh, Roundabout, which we're not going to play because it's the most recognizable yeah. like, song that you've probably heard. But uh, Roundabout, it's got Cans and Brands, <laughs> which... Uh, is that uh, Wakeman? Yeah, it's a Wakeman yeah, solo Wakeman. track. Um, we Have Heaven, uh, so, which is just a weird... Actually, maybe we should play that because that's a weird... Uh, it's like In the Round type of thing. Mm. So I think... Let me... Uh, We have heaven. We were talking like while we were listening. To that. There's actually the song immediately after "South Side of the Sky," and you were saying that this is like fitting into like honestly my, maybe modern hip hop or it could be used. Oh, I was I was thinking of it mainly because uh, of the 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 King Crimson sample mm-hmm. on on Kanye West's "Power," um, which which I will admit I love and I love that album. Yeah, um, and uh, I, yeah, like listening to "South Side of the Sky" after that. Mm-hmm. Um, came out. I was thinking, man, like with the right artist, <laughs> this could be a really cool hip hop sample. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it it definitely goes like from the round to the rock to five percent of nothing to, to another famous song, Long Distance Runaround. Oh yeah, like who has not heard Long Distance Runaround? <laughs> All uh, well, that was three thirty. Uh, the Fish, you know, which is Chris Squire mm-hmm. uh, doing his bass. Mood for a day, and then finally the eleven minute and thirty two second long heart of the sunrise, which, uh, you know, it's easily classifiable as Van Rock, but I think when you have people like Chris Squire in here, and you have people uh, like Steve Howe, you know, who are like musical geniuses coming off of a life growing up listening to like classical big band and stuff. It made it into this music. So what, like Chanel, you're you're a musician, right? Yeah. So what what does this do when you hear this older stuff to your brain? When you're looking at that, say other stuff maybe doesn't do. That's really hard to. It's really hard to talk about because I I feel like I'm this is like part of my life. Like right, I, it I, is. Like I grew but, up with yet yeah, like after thirty years, you know. But like, but you're on the I, couch now, man. No, I know. I just think about <laughs> I just think about like when I first discovered this music because I mean I I got into music from like hard rock and heavy metal and mm-hmm. like this is like I feel like yes is like the first stuff that I got into that was not 
hard rock, I'm like, oh my God, like they're actually people who don't have long hair and like play like Eddie Van Halen that are like amazing musicians, you right. know? And like, I remember hearing Heart of the Sunrise and like, oh my God, like that intro was like kind of difficult to play, you know? And like yeah. trying to learn that on guitar. I mean, long distance runaround, that guitar piano lick is yeah. like, you know, it's kind of jazzy. It's a little, I don't know what else you qualify it as, but, um, you know, it's like incredibly creative stuff and also like challenging as a musician. Yeah. You know? Especially for a twelve-year-old, just like, learn, <laughs> learning an, an instrument, you know, like yeah. But we're all guitar players, and I'm sure we all like at some point sat down and tried to learn this stuff. Yeah, like, and it was like, yeah, you know, I got to do it. I I failed completely. Never <laughs> never made it uh, through the Yes songs. Um, yeah, and the striking thing about Yes is just how diverse they are. I mean, you got all mm-hmm. these influences. I mean, you know, Mood for a Day is like, I mean, I guess that's classical, but it's also got the like ragtimey thing to it it's got the chet yeah. atkins thing going you're like wow this is they're coming from all over the place right yeah. right and it's all and they're all sort of uh um well actually we'll talk about that later <laughs> bound by john anderson's weird optimism um <laughs> but uh i think between that and close to the edge those are two very like similar albums they had a thing going that that really got them uh locked into the at least a section of the public's eye who liked the rock at that time and it was okay. You had the more populist Led Zeppelin stuff going on, but this was like you could get into like the more not full prog like King Crimson, but a little there. Even though their next album, uh, Tales from Topographic Al- uh, Oceans, would completely like destroy that. I think it took me twenty years to get into that thing. Uh, I, I forget his name. His name was Andrew at our high school. Um, he played guitar. And he brought it to school one day after, like, I literally just discovered Fragile and and said, hey, you should take this home and listen to it. And I did, and I was afraid because it's four songs on two CDs. Yeah. And it was just like, what, like, what do you, you, are you familiar with the album? Oh, yeah, very familiar with Mm -hmm. it. And, and, And about, you know, kind of the, the history around it with Wakeman kind of hate, like, hating it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they'd seen some success, and then all of a sudden here they are, like, uh, this is like our space or our like studio jam that we don't want anybody to hear, but we've composed it and worked on it and everything and put it out. Um, it was. Uh, are, did you ever spend any time with this or not? Did you just skip over it? Uh, it was much later. Yeah, I feel like in the last ten years, where I'm like, oh, this is that's an album that I never really got into. I should check that out, and I, I still have yet to really spent a lot of time with that i think it just never really grabbed me i mean i listened to it and there were moments where i was like wow this is pretty interesting but you know i just didn't didn't feel absorbed by it is it um because you prefer a certain type of yes no i'm cool with the more experimental kind of out there even long you know long songs i mean i I, as opposed to you i've seen yes a number of times and probably Mm -hmm. i think Two of the concerts are my favorite, and one of them was the Masterworks tour, which was all the like, you know, was a great 15, tour. all the 15, 20 minute long songs. So, like, I'm totally down with that, right, you know? Right. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to qualify why it never really jumped out at me. Yeah. Because there's no real start, or I mean, it's based on, uh, it's based on actually, uh, Anderson's interpretation of the, uh, Shastric scriptures, um, and which is a lot of what he did, I think. If you, uh, listen to, um, I don't know those first two albums, but definitely after, and certainly by the time we get up to Big Generator, I honestly don't really know what the fuck John Anderson is talking about half the time. But it's so uh, uh, like 
just eternally hopeful and universal that you're just like, and his voice is sort of golden and you're sort of like, Oh, okay. But this had no anchor for that. I mean, he was talking about all this stuff, but you have to be like, I, you have to study it and look at it. And like, okay. Now I get it. Otherwise it's like, uh, you know, the middle of a fish show. <laughs> no, it is. And this stuff I think paved the way for bands like that, uh, more so than anybody else. I mean, the dead certainly did it, but the dead didn't, get it from nowhere right um to go off in these like explorations that yes goes off on that are just uh they make no sense but i think once you get dig into it you're like oh this is awesome as a musician i know it's awesome yeah but even lyrically i think they're interesting because that sort of optimism i think in a way set them apart from Mm -hmm. other prog rock bands i mean you know genesis certainly later did love songs but early on i mean like land lies down on broadway it's some dark stuff going on yeah. there you know and king crimson same thing sort of had like a evil twist to it occasionally certainly musically i don't know about the lyrics but you know you i gotta know. admit i've only heard one king crimson album which one i don't even know because i've only listened to it once i have wow. i've never dug in dug into that oh man they're another band that had you know they went through periods it's like you talk yeah. about the adrian Ballou 80s stuff and then the early <laughs> yeah. stuff is they're totally different you know? yeah but um, yeah, I just feel I feel like John Anderson's vibe and his lyrics was another thing that set them apart. I mean, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, they, you know, feel like their lyrics got pretty dark too. pick any other like popular prog rock band, you know, dark, dark or like or just nonsense. Uh, I mean, John Anderson was nonsense. Yeah, he you, was. You base it off that alone. They, they're not stood apart. But like I, between I the three of us, have we ever taken away a sentiment from like John Anderson? I mean, the, the rhythm of love. Perhaps yeah. <laughs> universal. Yeah. It's all love, baby. Love will find a way. Sure, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. You know, there's a word and it's love. <laughs> um, you know, I actually did read uh, an interview years ago that asked about John Anderson's lyrics, and and he he actually said he was one of those lyric writers who doesn't necessarily aim to make sense out of his lyrics right. all the time. Like he aims to go for a theme and then put certain sounds and syllables together that he thinks sound good. Yeah, yeah. Like rhythmically and melodically, but may not make any sense at all. Um, which is not something that like I could ever get on board with as a songwriter, but <laughs> like I, it never offended me that, that as well, that's the weird thing. Like as an experience, and this is again, gets into like the, the fan base, I think a lot for, for yes. And that stuff like, that's a weird like if if you're down for that experience, then you're down for it and you're fine and you sit down, and the candles are lit, there's crystals all around and it's like they come out in capes. You're you're it you're going, man. You're going. But like how does that translate into something that you can put on a record and then enjoy as a record? We were talking about Jason Isbell upstairs and talking about like you can put on like I prefer Southeastern, but you you know, you like the new one a lot. And it's like you can put that on and enjoy that as opposed to uh just as a piece of necessary, like enjoyable, uh, for the sake of argument, pop, you put on something like Tales from Topographic o- Oceans, and like you're gonna have a bad trip, even if you're not like on acid, <laughs> possibly. Yeah, well, you're, I mean, you're certainly not getting any storytelling out of a out of a yes song. No, <laughs> but yeah, it feels like storytelling. Sure, yeah, sure. If you uh, cosmic storytelling. Yeah, in fact, um, one of the songs. Uh, from around that time, I think, that I want to play, uh, because this was, uh, <laughs> growing up, I was listening to this, and I'm like, man, they they really got, uh, like, the love story down, uh, and you and I. 
mm. of that. And it's the most ridiculous song. We're going to play it, but it is... Um, <laughs> they didn't have the love story down. This is like a bad tale from the Shire. Um, but it, it still remains like fantastic, like awesome, like everything. I mean, I, I love this shit. That's one of my favorites, man. Right. I mean, all the, the pedal steel, that, that whole section just right. blew my mind first time i heard that and i still love it to this day so let's, let's check that out and uh this is the version i'm gonna play is off yes songs um and uh, we'll be back in a
extremely nerdy. That it is. All right, still with us? Nine minutes later, uh, and you and I, uh, we were talking, um, y- you know, that is, uh, I think I first heard that when I was maybe like 14. And it, I know it's not the rockinest thing ever now. I know. It's like that scene in Freaks and Geeks when he's doing the uh, drum solo to Rush. And he, uh, to Radio Free. Uh, no, see, I don't like Rush. I don't know the song titles. Why, why is he? No. Um, I know what song you're talking. You know what song I'm talking about. The title right now. Yeah, but he's doing the drum solo to it. It's Jason Siegel, and he's he's playing it in headphones. And in his headphones, he's got it, and it's fucking amazing. And you see his facial expressions going, and they're just going off. And then his dad walks downstairs and sees it, and it's god awful. It's like jump, 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 jump. That's the way that song makes me feel. And you know, I played it for Daria before, and she's like, "No, no." But um, did you guys have a song, a yes song that maybe you thought was the rockinest from back in the day? Probably "Lift Me Up." No, no, we're, <laughs> we're not there yet, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to, t- I'm trying to like zoom it forward. Um, hmm, let me think about that for a second, Brian. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, well, it may, it may have been Siberian Katrue. Off yeah. of, also off of close off of, to the edge, yeah. like I like the that like guitar riff. Well, probably like the heaviest song was was probably Heart of the Sunrise. Yeah, that yeah. riff is like that is a heavy riff. Um, but then it goes off into all these different directions. Yeah. But I always thought of like Siberian Katru as like a pretty, a pretty like rocking song as far as as far as they go. Right, so. right. But do you feel that it's actually rocking, or do you feel that it's like because you know they're on wearing capes, and you know they're wearing glittery suits. And we can excuse the style of that time, but like, come on. Yeah. No. Um. I, I. I feel like it's. I feel like like it's legitimately like rocking, especially like the Yes songs version uh-huh. of it. Um. But I, I mean, it's not. It's not like metal. Right. <laughs> um. But it's it's uh. You know they're it they're um they're certainly playing with like a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Um. And and like a lot of passion. And on that one, they're not really messing around that much. Yeah, um, it's pretty much a straightforward song, even though it is it does go on for quite some time. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. I'll tell you a song that rocks, and it's actually rock and roll with crystals, going for the one. Yes, That's got, yeah. that kind of kind of yeah. rocks a little. Yeah, yeah. That, that album rocks. Well, I don't know if the album no, rocks. I mean, that's got Awaken on it. That, not... that song sounds like a Zeppelin tune. Right. I remember the first right. time I put that on, I was like, "This sounds like Zeppelin." Yeah. So. Around, what's the one though? Like going for the one? What well, does that even well, mean? Let's, no idea. Okay, let's talk. <laughs> no idea. This is this is John Anderson's eternal struggle, and that's why I say, what the fuck is he talking about? What is the one? What is the? Um, Can we also talk it, about the fact there's a man's butt on the album cover? Yes, I mean, sure. What? <laughs> so that's a hypnosis album cover. Yeah. Who are really right. into that sort of thing? Yeah, but that's a, and hypnosis is a it was an English design. Are they still around or they they recently closed? Yes, no. No idea. It's a, a London design firm. Um, but John Anderson saw it, and he's like, "Yes, that that expresses the vision of my, my song." <laughs> Skyscrapers and butt, ass rock, ass rock. <laughs> oh, this isn't this isn't to me like necessarily like ass rock. That's the hard part. Like ass rock, especially like when you get to the '80s. Or look, you know how much I love Third Stage. That's ass rock. Foreigner in the '70s. That's ass rock. Uh, Ario Speedwagon. You get up there, which you've played with. So. <laughs> Yes, I did. <laughs> um, uh, you know, yes, never, even though it is, it never fell into that category. 
really, but it, because of the uh, honestly, it's Chris Squire. A lot of like that bass stuff. It doesn't like it's not just a guy just being like, right? You know. Um, one thing too about these two albums, uh, Roger Dean. You said hypnosis, but Roger Dean is the guy who sort of came up with this style. If you looked at any, again, uh, I hate to say lady repellent, but um, <laughs> if you look at this this artwork, it is like full of space whales and just weird Hobbit references and space mountains and laser beams and unicorn, dolphin, fish, something, whatever. And it carried up until to this day. I think he did the Union cover and then was doing all these things. But this guy, is this music paired with that launched Roger Dean's career. He was a teacher. Hmm. They knew. And they used to get high with and they was just like, let's, uh, let's draw some album covers. He's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> this is how your music makes me feel, bro. And then made it. And we're all sitting here looking at this. When you get this as like, again, like a teenager, you open it up, you're like, the shit? Like, What? You know, heavy metal, the magazine specifically, like, especially the movie, stole all of that from him. Yeah. I feel like that, I love, that's one thing I love about Yes, though, is like, you see a Yes album coming, you're like, that's Yes. Right. Like, and they commit many, to it. Yeah, no, a few other bands have done that. I mean, I'm sure we could probably think of other examples, but I, that's so cool. You know, it's kind of like. Can they're, we they're, think of other examples? Their album covers are like acdc's music it's like you get an acdc album you always know you always know exactly what you're getting you know it's like you get a new yes album you're yeah. like oh it's gonna always be space whales and like you know underground <laughs> like wizard well, mushroom it, stuff it, except for except for trevor raven yeah yeah right? which we're True. getting there we're getting yeah, there yeah. and uh you know actually uh pink floyd did it storm thurgudson um all their stuff started to look the same not from the beginning but i think after dark side Sort of wish you were here and that weird, uh, desaturated, uh, yeah. uh, HDR before it was HDR, um, stuff, but yeah, nobody like you could, you didn't need to see what was going on. You could be walking down the record aisle and just be like, Oh, yeah, yep. I don't even know what that is. I gotta have it. Yep. Um, and uh, it, you know, the, the album version of Yes Songs, I think, I think Roadkill Ghost Choir has my copyright now i think i gave it to him last time i can't remember but um it's a triple gatefold like piece by roger dean and you're just looking at it like the actual fuck like this guy made this thing you know it's like you know 20 feet long in somebody's house somewhere (laughs) (laughs) because it's just it's it's like a masterful like piece of fantasy art contained to this one band and this one band's trajectory which after tales of topographic oceans started to go off the rails a little bit. Um, you we were talking about Relayer, uh, which I think I saw something like you listened to that a lot growing up. Oh, I love that album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say <clears throat> um, that's probably top close to the edge in Relayer for me mm-hmm. or my top two. And uh, I lo- I love how it's kind of like the darker. Like speaking of like John Op- John Anderson's like optimism. Yeah, a lot of that album. Speci- I mean, specifically Gates of Delirium. Yeah, like, how could you not with a title like that right. go go pretty dark. Um, and uh, I still remember, uh, um, you know, I think like 14 is sort of like 14 to 16 is kind of like that magical age. This has been like referenced and like studied before, mm-hmm. but it was right around that period uh, that my buddy and I were getting into yes. And uh, we were going on, I remember a car trip. My parents were driving us to go skiing uh, at Killington, Vermont. And it was either on the way there or the way back. We were just like 
air jamming to Gates of Delirium, <laughs> like singing every note of every part, you know, yeah. switching from drums to bass to guitar to keyboards. And um, that's that's the kind of stuff that like, yes, music is made for, I think. Right, right. Let's actually hear uh, Gates of Delirium because I, I, I listened to this a little when I was growing up and then I got back into it because of I saw your post a while ago about the guy. I mean, this could be on a Mastodon album. Not the Sonic stuff, but like the title is certainly. So this is Gates of Delirium off a Relayer.
right, so that song is 21 minutes long. We won't be playing that whole thing. Uh, one thing, back to John Anderson's stuff. Uh, how many times do you think in the career of Yes, you used the word emotion? <laughs> like, like every other song, it's like he's like emotion, <laughs> and then you're just like, what? It's like, okay, sounds like a drinking game to me. I think it does sound like a drinking game. Um, uh, yeah, so you guys were talking about this, and in, in, in the the scope of this album is a little. Uh, you know, songs like Sound Chaser and Soon uh, sort of expanded a little bit. What, what were you saying about his uh, his accent on this? Oh, I, I just noticed, I remember the first time I listened to Gates of Delirium and I thought John Anderson, I knew he was like North English and I and mm -hmm. I had heard that like he had made some comments about not really even liking his voice that much. Right. Um, which I think is pretty typical for singers. But anyway, he said, um, he didn't say this, this is just my interpretation. I think, I think he actually more of that like natural accent comes through in Gates Delirium, at least at the beginning of it mm -hmm. than on any other guest track. Yeah. Hmm. The, um, that song is actually, uh, <laughs> it, it, it it's supposed to be a cosmic battle inspired by War and Peace by Tolstoy. Of course. Let's <laughs> <laughs> right. take the longest novel and put it to music. Right. Mm. It's 20, I mean, this is what they did. And like, who's going to, who the fuck is going to like this? Like, except, like, but at any rate, uh, after Relayer, they put out Going for the One. Now, you guys were talking about uh, Tormato, which I actually enjoy that album. But what what were you thinking about tomorrow? You you thinking it's underrated or I you know I mentioned I think during the break that I have a gap in my my yes knowledge uh -huh. of albums and Tormato is one that I'm just not Tormato's one. With. What yeah. about you? I think I bought Tormato and Going for the One like on the same day, mm -hmm. and Going for the One is like heads and tails better than Tormato. Like I think I think it's it's probably like their last like great classic phase album. But um but Tormato um I know Tormato was like widely panned and then sure. after that like John Anderson left the band yeah. and whatever. Um I think there are moments that are okay. I think it starts out pretty strong. Mm -hmm. Um what's that first song? It's like Rejoice um Emotion. It's yeah <laughs> emotion rejoice emotional rejoice. Um and then the the like don't hunt the whale or don't kill the whale. Yeah, future times rejoice. The, don't kill the whale. The, you know, don't magical. kill the whale. Now the, this is what happens wait, when jo wait. John Ender get, John Anderson get, gets topical. You Song know? five, <laughs> arriving UFO. Song six, <laughs> circus of heaven. I we are not making our case, guys. <laughs> you, you know, it, I, I I would not for folks looking to get into this band. I would not suggest Tormato by any stretch. Tormato, no. um, it's but, also weird. I think they set themselves apart in this one by not using Roger Dean, right? Or hip, well, or hypnosis. Yeah. Or is it hypnosis? I don't know. It might be. No, but this anyway, one, this one was hypnosis. It's definitely yeah. a break from their past. Yeah, it's as definitely was a break from their past. The one. Well, and and what was going on at that time? Um, like that was the heyday of punk. So all of a sudden you have this band that like literally has been like you see the little Spinal Tap, uh, the the Stonehenge drop in Spinal Tap. This band took it to heart, and they were actually making fun of Yes when they did that. Yeah. Um, you know that was doing that, and that's what their career is based on. And then all of a sudden you have punk coming along. This album was made in shorter songs. I mean, they made up for it in the titles. I'm sorry. Don't Kill the Whale <laughs> is the most obvious yes title song title ever. <laughs> like, don't don't kill the space whale. Right, don't kill the space whale. <laughs> I mean if you had to like just make up song titles for a yes album, like that would be like, yeah. But the, what's interesting though is if you don't think about the lyrics of that song, yeah. it kind of just sounds like a Beatles song. 
If you listen, like it, it, it kicks in. It sounds like late period Which Beatles. First, I think on the first, correct me if I'm wrong. I think on the first Yes album, they did a Beatles cover. The, yeah, they're so, in their own way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that don't kill was, the whale. Inspired by Moby Dick. Yeah, they're just like, can we keep it to three minutes this time? <laughs> Cliff notes. <laughs> um, so that was basically um, the end. I think of an era after that. Um, like I said, John Anderson left, uh, and this is where it gets real dicey. But it's also where I think people, a lot of people, came into knowing the band. Uh, sort of immediately after that, in eighty eighty one, they uh, start to work on an album called Drama. Um, they did not tell anybody that Anderson and actually, um, I think Wakeman left too. Yep. Um, and so they're sitting there making this album, and they're using the. Uh, producers Jeff Downs and Trevor Horn from the Buggles who made the uh, famous song Video Killed the Radio Star uh, in the studio and finally they're like hey um, so John Anderson's not in the band anymore (laughs) you guys want to be in Yes? and all of a sudden the Buggles are in Yes and thus begins I think the era of of, uh, record company Yes which is uh, they you said you've been listening to drama a good bit lately yeah and enjoying it. Yeah, I like it. So what, what what are you finding about drama with no John Anderson and no Rick Wakeman? I think the answer is obvious. I mean, I recently got into this because of Chris Squire's passing. I'm like, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I was reading and like the, the, the album drama came up and I was like, oh, that's a gap in my knowledge. Chris Squire, his playing's amazing. It always is. And it, it stands out. I forget what the title track off that is, but his playing's incredible. The title track would be drama, drama, but there's no shocking. <laughs> um, what about Machine Messiah? Yeah, that takes you a few places too. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of got the the driving part, and then it does the whole like breakdown, you know, kind of like awaken. Let's check. Let's check mm-hmm. out a uh, or let's see. Yeah, let's check out that. Let's check out a, a John Andersonless, Rick Wakemanless.
sweet little Prince that linked diamonds of light to the satanic mills John Anderson heard that and was just like, fuck you guys. Like, <laughs> that's my that's my shit. <laughs> well, I I think yo, that's the thing. You learn something new every day. Like I honestly realize I, I've heard like songs of that. I don't think I've heard that song. And yeah, if you because uh, we're gonna talk about the replacement of John Anderson in a bit, but if you had told me ever that like that wasn't John Anderson, yeah. 
Uh, or that they didn't like collaborate with uh, David Gilmore on that. <laughs> right. Like I, I'd just be like, yeah, no, man. Like that's fucking. Uh, uh, that that's everything. Um, yes, was sort of updated. Yeah. So shit, you're right. That is underrated as hell. Um, <laughs> damn. Hmm. Points to Chenault. <laughs> All right. Um, you know they. Uh, so that happened. That's a 10-minute song. We didn't play the whole thing, but you can get into it. Uh, I think we're going to. Maybe they'll have it on the jukebox at Slash Run. Yes. Holy fuck. That'd be awesome. Um, so after that, uh, immediately after that, uh, a young uh, guitar... <laughs> uh, I don't know what you, you refer to him as. A, a guy who, whose talent was known far and wide from South Africa, and Trevor Rabin, uh, was starting to put together... Uh, a group, uh, yes, folded after drama. They were done. They said, fuck all this, we're out. Raven knew Chris Squire. Uh, Raven knew Tony Kay, and he knew uh, Alan White. In fact, he was the one, uh, they had, a, I think, a studio musician originally, but he was the one who said, hey, bring Tony Kay back. Um, and they start making this album under the band name Cinema. And uh, as... It moved along. They said, the record company said, hey, um, you've got most of Yes here. Has anybody talked to John Anderson? <laughs> and I said, no. And John Anderson was like, oh, maybe. Maybe that'd be good. And so this project that this guy, who has gone on, he's one of your favorite guitarists, Chenault's. Um, yeah, I mean, I like his guitar playing, but I'm just more fascinated our, by him. If I type that into our G-chats, it comes up over a thousand times. Trevor Raven? Yes, well, we'll get into. We're yeah. gonna have to touch on "Can't Look Away," his solo record after okay, Bitter, okay, okay. at some point because that's amazing. Um, but uh, so suddenly you have this guy building this band, a new era with Chris Squire, who's again like he's out, you know, being a badass bass player, playing with this great group of people. Many of these always play with. Uh, the record company turns it from cinema and says, "Why don't you BS?" And Trevor Rabin goes from having a band that he was starting himself to being in a band that is <laughs> a weird reunion band that sounds absolutely nothing like Yes, except for John Anderson. Um, and thus begins the pop era of Yes. They, uh, I don't know if they went to number one, but I do remember the uh, top twenty video countdown. Every week on MTV, they were always on it. Owner of a Lonely Heart. Uh, did they have another video off that? Was Changes maybe? Um, that's the only video I remember. But there's no way that didn't go to number one. Mm -mm. I mean, that's that was ubiquitous yeah. at the time. Oh yeah. So here also begins the long decline into the uh, uh, the afterlife, I guess. Of, of yes. Long decline. Careful with your words there. Okay, okay, man. We'll, we'll get to that. Um. <laughs> You know that as much as that album is enjoyable. I mean, that is great. That uh, that song, um, "Hearts," at the uh, that's the last song on the album. I think, beautiful, beautiful song. Beautiful song, and I think it it perfected everything that John Anderson was trying to do his entire career. Yes, and it had lyrics you could understand. Right, right, <laughs> and all of a sudden it's relatable, and it sounds barely anything like yes and even though all the old guys are in it they're all doing stuff they have that weird uh annoying keyboard sound throughout that's like the uh the trumpet and strings that wants the blast you know yeah um and but they're told to do this by the record company and this is the record company i mean this is the record company saying you should do this and you should do this they go out on a huge tour they sell it out 
I think they got nominated for a Grammy for 9125. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're in this new age of, of yes, where people are like, yeah, yeah, they're great. Uh, and then up after touring for a couple of years, they get back in the studio, come back with Big Generator, which is the oddest, your favorite, but is one of the oddest records that is most enjoyable, uh, I think, that I have ever listened to. Because it is Prague. But not really. It is pop, but not really. It is all these things done, honestly, like poorly, but yet it's an amazing listening experience. Yeah, it's like the perfect, to me, it's like the fusion of the of 90125 and like Old Yes. Because it has those moments. I mean, like Finalize has all that weird stuff going on in it. That's one right. example. But then it's got Big Generator, which has, again, I think it's got which, like the horn could, hits and like the other you, weird. What's a Big Generator? What the fuck is he talking about? No clue. No clue, Brian? No Don't clue. know. Don't no. know. Um, yeah, you've got that. You've got... Uh, it's an album that's uh, bright yellow with pink lettering on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the new yes symbol, which is like a tuning fork with a half circle around it. Um, you've also got uh, uh, Shoot High, Aim Low. Ah. Uh. Which is love that song. So so why <laughs> love that song? So why why do we love that song? Trevor Rabin, okay. Trevor Rabin with John Anderson in there, like in like key moments, just like you think you know, so. It's one of those songs, you know, like uh, that and nine hundred one two five. They're those songs that Trevor Rabin sings, where like John Anderson just interjects here and there. You're like oh, you're like oh, it's a yes song because mm-hmm. there's John Anderson. I feel all warm and fuzzy again. You know what what do you, can what's John Anderson's struggle in that song? Do you know? It's a, it's a dramatic song. Struggle? Yeah, what, what's a struggle? What's a struggle throughout? I don't know. I mean, clearly that's a Trevor Raven song. Right, right. Written. But what's it about? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Maybe this is where it all comes together. Well, there are like three songs in this album that have love in the title. Yeah. So I, th- I think the thematically, I think we're still in the same place. We're just a little more grounded than than we used to be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But 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 specifically, Shoot High Do you know what Shoot High Aim Low was about? No. No. In the blue sedan, we never got much further. Right. <laughs> what? And just dramatically shouts, look out! And all of a sudden, it's a, like a big, like, and it's like, what? What's going on? And yet, this is, like, this is, granted, it's part of, it mowed so many launch to this damn album. It It is, like, one of the best albums produced in the 80s. Easily. Oh, yeah. Possibly one of the best albums of Yes's career, even though it's so far removed from that. The prog is buried in, uh, you know, the big generator is really one of the more proggy songs. Well, here's, I actually have a question about this because you yeah. guys, you guys are really loving on this album. Yeah. And I, and I'm just like, I think I'm just like one generation kind of behind you guys. Mm-hmm. Right. So how old were you guys when this album came out? This was, uh, 87, 88. Yeah. I would have been 16. Yeah, or 16. 15, 16. Yeah, How so, much do you think that has to do with your love uh, for this it album? It has everything a to do with it. Yeah, but I'll it, admit it. But yeah. it, has to do, it has to do with like what you were saying about you're that perfect age and, and digging into this stuff. Yeah. yeah, but you can say that about anything that you discovered in that time, though. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like taking away from your argument, but yeah. like, yeah, if, it came, if that came out today, I'd be like, what is this crap? <laughs> would you, though? If it was under the Yes moniker, I'd probably be like, oh my God, this is amazing. But if some other band came out with that, (laughs) I'd be like, what is this? I'm going to play Love Will Find a Way. Yes. And then I want you to tell me, like, if you would, like, heard this today. I love that song. Okay, okay. We've established we love that song. Let's play this for people. This is is the band we've been talking about for now uh, almost an hour. Like, Yes, going from prog rock roots 
to playing uh, something that honestly uh, might have ended up on a Hanson record later. I don't know. Hanson. Well, we'll see. But this is a this is level fun to way up Big Joe. That is an amazing pop song, and uh, I'm sorry, Hanson could have written that, and people would have loved it. But that is that is a, a, a the one of the most direct yes songs ever. But it, it is a great pop song, like that little thing, like you know the uh, the so you want to get over me, and then the harmony is like so that's how you feel, and that's like so indicative of what was going on in '80s music in general. There, that Trevor Rabin, I, I think you're right. That Trevor Rabin actually was the one who said. We're gonna do this like this. You guys do your weird shit over here, and then we're gonna do this like this, and then we're gonna sell a million fucking albums. And they did. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I would argue that Trev Raven had his own weird bits too. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep wanting to talk about. Well, let's Can't talk. Let go well, ahead. well, we're at the, we're at the next stage here the final stage but i mean there's some instrument there's some instrumentals off of can't look away that have those sort of weird proggy things Uh to it too and i don't think that was him being influenced by being in yes necessarily yeah you know i mean he was a young kid in the 70s he probably grew up listening to sure yes so so what do you think he brought to yes uh i second chance at a career (laughs) 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 <laughs> amazing pop songs. I yeah. mean, let's face it. Yeah. A lot of people hate on Trevor Raven and what he that whole era means to yes, but like he saved that band. Like yeah. there would have been like they would have been done. I'm sure of that. Maybe they would have gotten back together for some like, you know, nostalgia tours sure. like later, but uh 
Yeah, I mean, he, he did like a fresh start, you know, like pop songs, like relevance in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, so it was another decade that they could have. It, it could have been somebody else who wrote decent songs, but they would have been terrible. I mean, I don't know, like whoever produced Madonna could have like taken over Yes, and it would have been poppy but awful. Would it have been? Yes. No, no, I don't know. It could have been amazing. Um, they, uh, so th- like I said, this made a fuck ton of money. This was on the radio. Uh, to me, this is the less of the '80s albums. This is the less approachable album, and I think you really have to be more of a music nerd to enjoy this, except for that song. Um, but they uh, then decided and again this is where we're in the slide of the weird like record industry version of yes where somebody in the record industry was like hey that works now uh anderson bruford wakeman and how which you have a tape of with you you know we've seen it but uh if you're we'll, we'll post a picture of it on on the show notes um saw the success that yes was getting and said hey we can do this shit this is our band fuck this and so you had this like weird uh, bifurcation of of this legacy going on, um, and I asked you if GTR was part of that, and it's not. That's Steve Hackett, who was Genesis. No, it was, that was How and Hackett, wasn't was it? it How and it Hackett? was How and Hackett. Oh, so How GTR was the only was. yes member. Yeah, yeah. So I actually, I actually, sorry to bring Trevor Rabin in again, but I was reading an interview <laughs> with him the other day, and I think the reason why Anderson Bruford and Wakeman and Howe even came about is because after the Big Generator tour, he was completely burned out. He was like, we've achieved all this success. Like, I never even intended this. Like, I was, you know, I want to make a solo record. He was basically like, I'm done with Yes. Yeah. Maybe forever, but certainly for now. And then John Anderson was like, I'm ready to keep working. And I think that's kind of how Anderson Bruford and Wakeman and Howe came around. Yeah. And that was, what year was that? 89? 89. Um... They, uh, this, this was the weird thing because I discovered a lot of this in college. 92 is like my second year of college. And, um, they announced that they're, you know, and this is at this point, I'm deep into like the old yes lore. I'm like, oh yeah, these guys. And like, well, these guys are great. I love that. But it's like, sort of like a cheesy, ironic nostalgia thing. And they're like, we're going to make an album called Union, which brings together all the versions of yes in the one thing. It is, uh, you just sort of go. <laughs> Let's talk about Union Chanel. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I was probably first in line to buy that album when it came of out. Of course, I, so I, was I. I. Yeah, I. I in did. fact, I put the long box up in my dorm room, like you did back then. I mean, as a yeah, okay, it's not the greatest album, but as a Yes fan, that tour was like the motherload because it's like you get to see all these mm-hmm. people that you love on stage right. together. You know, that right. was incredible. Did you see that tour? You okay? But so, how much though? That's why I was getting into the 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 al- the record label like creation of a band. Like that's not something like any of those guys. Obviously, they agreed to it, but that's not something that you would ever be like. This is a good idea. Let's take this pop version of this band and this not the, what the original version is. Band. Let's slam it together. I mean, John you... Anderson was happy because all the songs were just basically like all his weird new age like feely stuff, and it was like great. Yeah, that must have been so weird, you know, because like Steve Howe all of a sudden is having to play like you know, <laughs> whatever Love Will Find a Way. Or that. Yeah, they didn't do that on that tour, but you know, like Owner yeah. of a Lonely Heart, and then Trevor Raven's playing like Did they Heart play of the that? Sunrise. Did they... Yeah, I think they did. They they definitely did. Yeah, but they've I, even done that po- post like Trevor Rabin. Yeah, 
Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, that's a song I would think would yeah. drop off. Billy uh, Billy Sherwood uh-huh. actually would would play that and like botch parts of it. <laughs> oh. So the fans going to see the shows are, are still expecting Owner of a Lonely Heart. I think at least at a certain point. I think the, the last Yes show that I believe I saw was in 2002, which was the last period where Wakeman rejoined the band, mm-hmm. I believe. But yeah, back in that era, they were still doing... If they were doing a longer show, so if it wasn't the... Um, if they were doing a, a show with a longer set, yeah, um, they they would add that song as like something close oh. to the end. I've actually seen them in their, their, their recently. I saw them at the National. I saw them in the Charlottesville Pavilion. The last two different singers, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure they played that once, if not both times. So let's get into that then. Uh, although you you said you like talk, which is 1994. 1994 was the last gasp, I think. I, I did at the time. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's an underrated album. I remember loving it at the time. I haven't listened back to it in a while, and it's mm-hmm. hard. You, you can't find it on. I don't think it's on audio. I have it on CD in a box somewhere, but um, I thought it was good. It's it's it it's weird though. It's no big generator. It's no nine hundred one two five. It's no old yes. It's kind of its own beast. Right. Yeah, you can't find it anywhere. You're hiding it. Um, but that was actually uh, talk was. I don't. It was. It wasn't instrumental, was it? No. No. No, but I think that was less of a collaboration. I think that was more John Anderson and Trevor Rabin working the two of them right like we're gonna make another yes record and then maybe they brought some of the other guys in mm. towards the end right yeah and from there basically the band uh took a break and then has come back and has been touring uh, or was touring um in various incarnations for like uh anniversaries of stuff because this you know they get in the 2000s they've been around for 30 years like just been like killing it and uh, as i mentioned up front never got to see it because i'm a dipshit <laughs> um, um but um, in 2008, <laughs> we had, you know, it should be mentioned, like, throughout all these albums, you see all these lineup changes, uh, you see, like, Rick Wakeman quit, he's back in, uh, Tony Kay was out, he's in, like, John Anderson quit, like, twice, I think, comes back in, uh, all, all these people in different rearrangements of this band, when they finally get it right, uh, John Anderson gets a, uh, respiratory infection and can't, I mean, you can't sing, you, you can't do that, um, this is where it gets like sort of super hilarious for me because I'm not, I don't know what the clamor for yes has been in like the late, you know, 2000s and into 2010. But in 2008, they, the, all the guys in yes said enough of this shit. And they went and found a guy, um, by the name of, uh, Benoit David, um, who was essentially in the yes cover band and said, we're going to replace you with this guy. So late 2000s to do that. Yeah. I mean, who wasn't doing that back then? Yeah. Boston, Journey, all the old <laughs> Well, things. Boston had to. Come on, man. <laughs> like, show some respect. Everybody doesn't, no, everybody doesn't have to find singers that sound exactly like the original right. singer. If you close your eyes, you don't know the difference. But, but this, guy, this guy did. And this was part of the reason why I didn't go see him, because I was like, I want to see... I, I, I get... Like, I feel connected, as much as I've been sort of bashing on his like weird like lyrics and like stories he's trying to tell i feel connected to john anderson's optimism because i grew up with it and i'm like well this guy is saying something that i'm just i'm locked into that you replace that with somebody who isn't him doing the same things then it gets like super weird uh but like i don't know if you did you see any of the tours have either of you guys seen these tours yeah 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 i saw both of them 
Uh, I saw the one with Benoit David, and uh, so the, the the more recent guy doesn't sound so much like John Anderson. He's right. got a lot more of his own personality. But Benoit sounded exactly like John Anderson. And I have to admit, I was reluctant to go to the show. But I'm like, yes, at the National. I'm like, I'm yeah. not missing that. <laughs> In Richmond, Virginia, yeah. by the way. But, so. I, but I felt dirty going. I was like, I don't feel... I did. I was like, this I, I was like, this is not yes. Just go in like... And it was just... It was creepy. It's like it's like a wax museum kind of vibe. Like, right. I mean, you know, you got Steve Howell stage and, and, and Alan White. But... And you close your eyes and you're like, oh my God, it's John Anderson. And then you open your eyes and you're like, no, 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 no. But it's so it's like this weird, like back and forth. Like, am I enjoying this? Yes, I'm enjoying it. It's yes. But like, no, it's this other guy who sounds just like John Anderson. And I almost have more respect if they'd found somebody who didn't. Right. You know, who could sing those parts, but didn't sound like him. Or formed a band named Cinema. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Two are under a different name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so so, what does that mean for like the the uh, I guess the legacy of yes? Because now they've replaced well, it with a guy who hilariously I was telling you guys, um, uh, David contracted a respiratory infection. So, note to anybody applying for the lead singer job in yes, don't get sick. They're gonna kick you out. Um, but this guy was is weird. He was a uh, actually a friend of uh, Taylor Hawkins of the Foo Fighters, who was friends with Chris Squire. Because why the fuck not? Yeah. Like and. Uh, and said, "Hey, I know this guy." And so now he's the guy in there. His name's John Davison. Um, and you said he's not. He's doing sort of his own thing. Yeah, he's good, but he's got. He's, his voice has his own personality. Right yeah. now, with Chris Squire gone, and Chris Squire's wishes though that the band goes on. What What do you guys think this the legacy is here? <laughs> it reminds me of that old joke, like prog rock bands never break up; they only just keep rotating members in and yeah. out. But then I, I think I actually remember an interview that I read with Rick Wakeman in the nineties, I want to say, where he said that maybe it was after he left or they were kind of done. He's like, "I envision a time, you know, we've we swapped members in and out so many times. I envision a time, I, who knows, like 30, 40 years from now, like maybe yes continues and we're all dead." And it's like completely a new generation. And I was like, at the time, it seemed ridiculous. He said, but, petting his healing crystal. Yeah, but like I, you know, maybe that maybe that's the future. You know, maybe like people's kids and grandkids like carry on the the flag of yes. But it's a little weird. I'm not gonna lie. And to me personally, like Chris Squire's gone. Like yes is that? I mean, it's dead. It's dead for me. Like yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, with John Anderson not in the band yeah. and Chris Squire dead. It's kind of like, I mean, I love Steve Howe. Yeah. yeah. I, one of the, my favorite shows ever, I saw Steve Howe play a solo set at like a legit bar in mm-hmm. like the West End of Richmond, like the early 2000s. Mulligans, I think I, it was I was at that show. You were there? Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. He did like, he had all the tracks to get to Delirium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. But, um, but yeah, like, I, I just feel like it's not, they're not yes anymore. Yeah. Right, right. right. Yeah, I, I have to admit, like, you know, celebrities and musicians die all the time. It's a circle of life. Like, you know, I've kind of like, oh, man, that's a bummer. But, like, Chris Squire really hit me hard. I, I haven't quite put my finger on why yet. I mean, partly because I grew up with his music. Sure. And he's, I mean, he kind of was yes, like, we, as we've talked about. But, like. Which I didn't, I didn't think until actually we started planning this. And started thinking about it until he died, really. And then yeah. I started revisiting and stuff. And I'm like, what's the stuff that I lock into on, on all these songs? And it's it, invariably like Chris Squire's work. Yeah. I, I'm struggling with it, man. There, I can only think of like a couple of other musicians in my life that died and I took it this hard. But yeah. like it's been it's been kind of kind of rough, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, yes it's a bummer. But this idea though, like you said, you you, you could close your eyes and see that you could like 
oh, it's John Anderson. It's the band, yes, and stuff. Is the music bigger than the band? Well, and maybe this... you're, I mean, you're in a, you're not in an active band right now, but you are and stuff. Like, do you like you hear people talk about like that feeling of like you know you get this like rush of doing it and stuff and like is that totally dependent upon each individual or can it be something else? Well, I mean, it's it's an interesting question with our band who who is basically and now it's like second incarnation, right? Like yeah. since I've been a member of this band, it's been <clears throat> the entire lineup has been um has been repl- well, not since I've been in the band, but the, but the version sure. of the band that yeah, I yeah, yeah. that I'm in is totally different from the version of the band that put out released the first record except for except for Ryan. So, um so I think there is like something to like this the spirit of the band. It's probably somewhere in the middle, you know. Yeah. Not to hedge on it, but I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. Okay. I, maybe this ties back into their whole classical influence. I mean, you know, like right. people are still playing Mozart's music. Right. Like, I mean, I, you know, so not, people can still, <laughs> you know, maybe it won't be yes, but it'll be the music of yes. Like, what if the cover band is most of the band? Like, is that, like, right? <laughs> how does that work? And like, what are we accepting of? Maybe they planned this all along. I will. They, I mean, <laughs> John Anderson masterminded this whole thing. Well, John Anderson's still cooking, so he could like come back and like reform. There could we could have another era of yes. Yeah, possibly we could, we could have an Anderson Bruford Wakeman Howe reunion. Yeah, we could have that. <laughs> I mean, if you look at uh, Wakeman's son Oscar replaced him as the keyboard player, which is like this amazing. Like it's not like they just get some other like guy to fill in. They get the guy's son. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a fascinating dynamic, and it's it's like the work I think they've done is. Uh, I'm almost more interested to see what happens, like now Chris Squire is dead. When when I read that interview that said he was like I I told those I sat down down and said you have to go on. Like that is. Well, on one hand, obvious that somebody would say something, like that, but the fact that he is—he was in every album. He was essentially the beating heart of that band through what thirty plus years, and this guy is like, this guy understood the stuff was bigger than him. That, like, if they take that to heart, like, what's going to happen? Yeah. Can we also talk about the fact that? They were not replacing him with a bass player, but the keyboardist is going to be covering his bass parts. Oh well, now I know what's going to happen. Then fuck that. Huh? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I believe Billy so Sherwood. I believe that's the plan. Like, <laughs> as if the keyboard parts weren't hard enough for somebody anyway. Like, right. hey, let's get the, like cover the bass. But who's gonna like who's gonna fill Chris Squire's shoes? Like well, John Anderson, great. We'll get another singer. But like, I feel sorry for anybody that has to come in and like. Oh, hey, Yes is going back on tour. Chris Squire just died. Like, here, you play all the bass parts. Like, sorry, sucker. <laughs> and, and that's actually the last thing I want to talk about for we because we're, we're going up, you know, over an hour. And so it, as a as a bass player, we're all guitar players, but guitar players can play bass. It's, you know, it's a type of guitar and stuff. As a bass player, um, the more I listen to him, the more, uh, the older I get, like, he was such a massive, like, world-changing talent. You think of all the bands, even, like, you can go from Stoner Rock to Prague to, like, and he could do anything. And did do anything on his entire career. I mean, do you, like, Brian, can you play any of his parts, like, on a guitar? <laughs> like, think about it. Think about, it, like, if you had to, like, some of his more complex parts. Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly wrote really interesting parts. And I, th- I think I heard... 
I think I heard somewhere that like when Yes started, he he really didn't even know what he was doing. Right. Don't quote me on that, but I but I believe I heard him like say yeah. something like that. Like he wasn't really like that skilled. Right. He, so so it was like coming from a very kind of creative and natural place, mm-hmm. and then he developed his skills over t- over time, which I think led to really interesting bass parts. He does. Yeah. Plus they're just all like. His like in the mix, he's always so prominent. And, he, and a unique sound and tone, like you can always tell it's Chris Squire. That you can't say that about a lot of bass. Well, it's players. like there's a, there's a there's a bass player here, and he's part of the band. Not like he's some guy backing it up. Right. It's like he's like yeah. here. It's funny because Phil Lesh gets a lot of credit for stuff like that, and can't can't get close to him. And this is a similar thing. Um, Lesh had a uh, strong background in composition and classical uh, music and stuff, but he never played the bass before he got to the Grateful Dead. And so when people hear like how he interacts with them, people are like, "Oh man, he's the best bass player alive!" And like, but that's just because he plays a lot of notes, though. And I like the Dead, but right. Phil Lesh, I can like give or take a lot of his choices. Yeah, but Chris Squire, you can't. You can't like. Yeah. It's like, it's always on point. It's always like, if you get lost, all of a sudden here's Chris Squire coming back in being like, come on back. Come back. <laughs> yeah, he knew when to play and when not to. Yeah. And I, and I would argue, I don't know as much dead as you guys, but like Phil Lesh probably doesn't have as unique of a sound and a tone. I mean, I Phil, Le- wrong. Phil Lesh sounds like Phil Lesh, but it is, I, my personal take on that, it's it's because of the notes he ch- he chooses, and I don't like. I'm with you. Yeah, it's not always not. The, the 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 right <laughs> notes. But if, but if you heard Phil Lesh like on another recording that was not the Dead, would you like just out of Absolutely. blue? Would you be like, "That's Phil Lesh"? Absolutely. Okay. In, unless Fair enough. Yeah, he wouldn't be playing any root notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. Then that's my ignorance here. We're, we're threatening to take a turn sort of super nerdy. <laughs> like you guys want to talk about music theory, some? Um, uh, yeah, but that but yeah, and, and it's um. Unless he played it straight, I don't. Yeah, you would you would know Phil Lesh because he doesn't have. Uh, unlike in the, in that band, actually Garcia, who when he touches an instrument, it sounds like Jerry Garcia. Sure, there's mm-hmm. nothing. There's he's one of the few. Him, Gilmore, uh, maybe a handful of other guitarists like in the modern era that sound like that. Um, Lesh does not. Chris Squire does. Yes, if he touches the instrument, you know it's. I mean, yeah. I, I don't care what it's on. You know it's Chris Squire. Yeah. So. And there's only so many musicians like that in the world. That's like... I mean, Prince. Like, love... You can always tell it's his guitar playing. Absolutely. But like, like, him on keyboards? Like, no, not so much, you know? But, like, there's just some musicians that they just have that... They're, they're Like, they're just bigger than life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that For was Chris Squire. Sure. Yeah. Chris Squire... Chris Squire... I have to tell this little story. Chris Squire is such a badass that... One of the shows that I saw him play... I can't remember exactly which one it was... Yeah. Um, he may have himself been wearing a cape at this show, I believe. <laughs> and uh, it was it was late nineties, early two thousands. I think it was in the contract. And you will wear a cape. And like it was like Jumbotron's shot of like Chris Squire, and he was taking like a rest at the moment, picking his nose, <laughs> and then he just like <laughs> comes back in and tears it up. Nobody cares, you know, because yeah. it's Chris Squire. You yeah. Know? He's the man. <laughs> yeah. He was a motherfucker. So we get out of this. Uh I, I the goal was sort of like to maybe to get people in the yes, but really it's just so you and I can talk through some yes shit because we've been listening to them since we were kids. We still we still haven't had "Can't Look Away" cast. We need to we need to like have we, the third down on that album. We we can we can get that eventually. Um, if uh, if that was our goal, uh, 
start with you, Chanel. Like, where where are you going to tell people to go to start? To, it, like, if they listen to this and like, maybe I should get in the S. These guys are all idiots, but they at least talked about it for an hour and uh, a place to start. That. I think I'd probably just hand them two albums. I'd hand them one from like or the old Yes and one yeah. from the newer Yes. I'd give them Big Generator and I'd give them like Close to the Edge. Be like, here you go. Like here, I don't know if you'll appreciate it like I do because it's kind of old music now. Like maybe our best hope is to find like fourteen to sixteen year olds and be like, here, yeah. here you go. Check out these two albums. Yeah, but I, you know, somebody who's forty. I don't know. <laughs> well, Your best hope is to just give them those two albums and be like, good luck. Figure it out, man. Yeah, figure it out. But you, Brian. Yeah, that's not a bad approach because <clears throat> the bands are so different and sound so different in a lot of ways. I, I think if I were to pick two albums for somebody who had like legitimately never heard the mm-hmm. band, I would probably go 90125. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're into that like catchy like pop, pop rock 80s yeah. thing, you're going to love that album, right? And then I would probably give them Fragile as my other choice. Fragile, yeah. Because it's got a couple hits on there and some weird stuff, but nothing that's, like, too long. So you can get a taste of, like, what what's to come, but it's not, like, you know, yeah. close to the edge, tails, relayer-type right. length stuff. Right. Um, that's what I would probably go for. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I would actually... Um, I'm going to cheat a little. Uh, I, I'm going to go on the, on the premise that, like, everybody's heard Own Over Lonely Heart on the 80s compilation or whatever uh c-tate movie is out like it's been in whatever it might be it's, it's not a magic mic too is it i don't know no, no idea <laughs> um, but uh but i i would recommend two albums but uh I, I i'm gonna say pull yes songs because it uh sounds like a band like being a band and i think you can find you can see from that point where they were before and you can see where they go and, and see because they had to perform in front of people and they had to like make it entertaining and there are parts in that where they're it's it's nice so so you get two albums for the price of one and space whales you know, so I would, um, not, I would not give them the new box set which is like the exact same show like what seven no. or nine times over from like two weeks in like 1972 right but <laughs> I, I will say this and but that's actually yes songs a little bit and these yeah. are all I'm gonna have a huge like uh, link farm in the show notes for this but uh you know if, if you're into that you can listen to like all those shows like you were seeing the greensboro show like what was it the day you were born or something nah, it's a couple weeks before okay. i kind of nerded out i was like oh my god <laughs> yeah. maybe it influenced my birth yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe john anderson being in the vicinity like you know the fairies yeah that, that john that would like, explain a lot. Uh, um <laughs> <laughs> but but um yeah you know you you can find it all out there and uh you know, pick your entry point. All these things that you said are like really good entry points. The fact of the matter is that they are, uh, at least were, it remains to be seen if they will be, but they were a, a motherfucker of a band. And if you're not like willing to like at least just like investigate a little, like, you're probably doing yourself a little disservice.
right, that was it. I uh, hope that didn't go on too long. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you haven't, uh, if you had never listened to uh, anything beyond 90125, I hope that encouraged you because there's a lot to uh, to sort of discover in there, especially I would say start with Yes Songs. Sort of a greatest hits. They're done live. They're a phenomenal live band. Um, but really, just pick up anything uh, before 90125 and, uh, and sort of, you know, Turn on the black lights, uh, you know, a lava lamp or two, and uh, and sort of enjoy. Um, That is our podcast for this week. Like I said, next week we're actually taking uh, a week off, unless there's some miracle uh, where I am the fastest editor of live, uh, because I am actually taking a vacation. Uh, So I I would encourage you that if if this is, especially if this is your first time listening to this podcast, uh, this is about 128 of them you can dig back through them we've got some uh, great interviews sitting in the backlogs with uh, Nels Klein from Wilco Damien Gerardo that was one of my favorite ones uh, Brian Pagels and the Beanstalk Library we've got that back in there uh, so it's all available up on iTunes you can subscribe to it uh, you can find it all on the site as well and just do a search uh, for an artist um, a lot of fun, fun ones in there uh, if you want to learn more about Avers, uh, we got the Landmark Music Festival coming up. Check that out. That was a fun one to do. Uh, and uh, and then we're going to have more of those coming up in the next few weeks when I get back. We'll, uh, you know, like I said, taking a week off and then uh, getting back to it and getting more people down here in the basement to talk uh, rather than just hear us uh, ramble on about albums. Although we are going to be talking about something. We're going to be talking about the Titus Andronicus album and Mac DeMarco because I am glutton for punishment. Uh, so that is our podcast for this week. We will see you in two weeks. Uh, until then, be good to your ears and be even better to your people. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> 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 Kenobi!